existence echoed in the distance. Hello world, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Danielle Brown and I'm excited to share my poetry with everyone listening. I would like to say a quick thank you to Vicki Lawson and Sarah Elwood for their support and giving me this opportunity to explore the nexus of power, privilege, and blackness in today's America. I would also like to publicly say thank you to Nanya, who is both a colleague and a friend. And after hearing the final poem I'll be reading for you all today, A Black Ghost in Chains nominated me for a poetry workshop in Surreal Life. Um, and I'm very excited to say that I received one of the nine scholarship spots. So I will be able to continue to work on my craft. And I just want to say thank you for believing in um, my poetry. So as Black Lives Matter movements sweep the world in response to the murders of countless black lives at the hands of law enforcement and vigilantes, I've had a pause in my world as well as a stark fastness as well. Um, everything is moving so quickly and yet I also feel in a standstill. While black people and many other marginalized groups have known that white supremacy is alive and well, at 23 years of age I'm overwhelmed as I live through a time when the country at large must finally reckon with this fact. The poems I'm reading today were largely written as my way to internally come to terms with and find some kind of solace in our new reality. I can admit that I've been definitely in a state of both, I mean, internal as well as external mourning as we see just the consistent black loss of life that we knew was taking place in this country, and yet so many people were shielding their eyes to the fact because it wasn't touching their lives as it does to many in the black community. Um, and now, as if you're on social media, you see, um, you see the reality that African-Americans have continued to speak and try to gain a public response. Let's change this system, all of us together. My work explores the complexity of human emotions and experiences by intimately detailing manifestations of blackness and anti-blackness. It foregrounds the multifacetedness of living as a black individual in the United States and the messy entanglements with systemic racism this group encounters daily. In other words, my work focuses most prominently on the African-American quest for freedom and questions, what does a fully realized black liberation look like? I center my experiences and personal relationship to this subject matter as a black woman in America who has navigated both traditionally black and white spaces in order to bring an intimate embodied authenticity to my work. My hope is that my willingness to be vulnerable will resonate with others in close and far places who feel invisible, silenced, or generally like they are forced to bottle up and hide their authentic selves. 
I speak now in my authentic voice in order to show you all an intimate glimpse into the experiential knowledge and trauma possessed and gained when one inhabits the world as a black identifying individual. I heavenly resonate with Brittany Cooper's notion of eloquent rage because it allows me to engage the passion, strength, and everyday resilience intrinsically ingrained within my intersectional identities of being a black feminist woman in America. Since I was a young girl arguing with people at the lunch table about not calling me the N-word, I've always been labeled as an angry black woman. Thankfully, that label no longer fills me with sadness or feeling misunderstood. And instead, it typically signals that I have done my job to stand up for people in some way or another. I cannot help but speak on manifestations of anti-blackness because they are constant and they make me both sick and, frankly, mad as hell. However, I am looking to reinvent what comes to mind when people see a strong black woman who can articulate the historical and inequitable treatment of black people at large. I plan to channel my knowledge and anger in productive ways, such as through my research and my poetry. My new stance, meaning how I choose to position myself and move through the world is, these hard times have made me an angry, newly motivated, now unsilent black woman in America. Uh-oh, hear my roar. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy my first ever poetry set titled Soul in a Bottle. you may still be wondering a bit more about me so I have a poem for that to start us off it's set up in a style where I use the poetry I wrote in my childhood and I then respond to it as myself today when I was younger um, I would say probably like 9 through 15 years old um, I wrote a lot of poetry to just deal with (laughs) my life at the time that I was very unhappy with. Um, And I questioned myself a lot and I was very sad and depressed a lot of the times, um, even if other people did not see that. Um, And so this first poem just really, showcases that confusion and uncertainty that many of us have as children as a, when we're children and when we are growing up and finding ourselves um, and my response is a lot more confident at first I wasn't sure if I wanted to do these poems this way um, and share the first one because it's a bit clunky um, but I realize that I'm still a bit clunky and I probably always will be. Um, So they belong together. 
So first, what or who am I? 13-year-old Danielle asks herself. What am I is the question I ask myself all the time. You see, there was a point in my life when I thought I knew me, from the inside all the way to the outside. And now when I look in the mirror, I ask myself, what am I? I know my name is Danielle because that is the name I am called. But how do I really know who I am, what I am, when I hear so many different things all day, every day? I just wish I could go back in time and see all the things I've done and said so that I can come to my own conclusions about who I am, what I am. Because everyone else's opinion means nothing to me if I, did not, if I do not know if what they have said is the complete truth or a total lie. So once again, I ask myself, what am I? And my 23-year-old self-response is, my confident reply to the question, who am I, is that I am a black woman, a scholar, an artist, and a poet. I am a daughter, an auntie, a sister, and a lover to my partner. Everything that makes me me clearly illustrates my intrinsic femininity laced with masculine tendencies. I am a beautiful, multifaceted, one-of-a-kind being. I've plowed the dirt, picked up after homeless folk, worked maintenance jobs, and worked in an office on confidential stuff. I can say loud and proud I was able to get my education paid for. I'm halfway through a master's degree, and then I will work to claim the highest reward of having people call me doctor. All of this I achieved from my own hard work. I can say others have helped me along the way, but this success is something that my sweat, tears, and determination fought for. I still at times wonder for a second who am I, is the path I chose right? When things get difficult and for a moment I think to quit because I wonder if I will get up life's hill. But that uncertainty I had as a child, I have chosen to bury and move on from. And my need to be a truthful being means that who I am is eternally fluctuating. That's just a matter of fact, I can't help that. So let's relax, let your mind dance as I lay out the workings of my inner self. I hope you enjoy find out something about yourself, and let us take a ride into my expansive universe, a unique version of a real-world kaleidoscope. <laughs> yeah, I think that pretty much sums up who I am, um, both of the poems together, because I'm very confident, and yet I'm very still finding out who I am. Um, as I am working through this um, poetry set. Um, I definitely have realized going through this experience that I still have a lot of insecurities I have to work through. Um, going through this experience of putting myself out there um, through my poetry. And yet it's also very exciting and exhilarating. Um, and I'm very excited to take this plunge. So. Moving on to the next poem. It's titled Destined Destruction. This one really encompasses who I am as a scholar, as an intellectual, as a researcher, and how my blackness and my womanhood is etched into my being. Um, and it's a position that I happily embrace. 
um, as I further my career in academia. Destined destruction. Refusing to be another opportune black unicorn, my position and commitment stand firm. Choosing to enact a desire-centered approach, welcoming and centering those from the margin whose entire existence has been continually institutionally shunned. Partially situated knowledges and perspectives. I see you, I hear you, and please know that you are valued and loved. I don't want to be in an ebony tower, and I don't want to be in an ivory tower. I want to burn the tower down entirely, hoping the smoke signals the dawn of a new day, giving physical and metaphysical space for the production of knowledge to exist everywhere and nowhere. In a single act of destruction, destiny will finally run its course. And while I may be signing away a piece of my soul, making a deal with the devil, giving away my black past to exist in this white academic world, I also know dismantling scholarly gatekeeping fundamentally sets free many passed away souls that have long been misrepresented and ostracized as aberrant by this institution, creating the necessary space for what is or who is a knowledge producer to be intrinsically tied to what it means to be, to hold space and exist in the world. It is as simple as that. So one of the main ways my research explores manifestations of blackness and anti-blackness, as well as brings in community voices and the knowledge that they intrinsically have is by developing a locally informed argument on the importance of a black sense of place in African-American lives. Focusing on my hometown of Springfield, Massachusetts, my research argues that a black sense of place speaks to the creation of spaces, embodying an enduring innate sense of belonging to the African-American community. I believe personally as well as I'm sure many others do, that the creation of a black sense of place through black placemaking is itself a distinct form of African-American praxis that has not been explored enough. Um, and I'm really excited through my work to illuminate the knowledge we have in our communities. Um, so the next poem is titled Grocery Store Talk, and it's my Black Sense of Place poem. I see it as, um, and I wrote it after one day going to the grocery store, and I got great relationship advice from a very dear black man, um, an older gentleman who has really been just a kind face, as well as a very kind soul when I've needed just someone who identifies as being black and knows the struggle. Um, being here in Seattle, you feel so hyper-visible because there are just not any people really around you that look like you. Um, and so grocery store talk really embodies how 
marginalized communities, black people still find ways to create community, even in places and spaces that make it hard for you to do so. I know as a black person, you must have heard about the infamous barbershop talk or hairdresser talk, but have you ever come across the idea of grocery store talk, corner store talk, car service talk, or mailbox talk? There are times when we find ourselves in these deeply personal conversations suddenly during an otherwise mundane moment. And personally, I did not realize how much these small conversations could mean to me as more than a passing dialogue, but instead as a moment of solidarity and care amongst another understanding individual until today when I received the best relationship advice of my life in the middle of the meat aisle of my neighborhood QFC. I kid you not, <laughs> it was a surreal experience to have someone take the time to ask me how I was and inquire when my stumbled reply was full of hesitation. It is as if there's an embodied sense in that moment of an acceptable vulnerability and openness, uncommon in most spaces for the average person of color, because I know this individual is making an opening in this specific moment and place for pure authenticity and true engagement. In an instant, there is a manifested black sense of place. I really love this poem because it shows how blackness, black community, black culture, a black sense of place is multi-scalar and expands and fluctuates. Um, but if there are multiple black people in a space, we will, we will find each other and we will find a way to hopefully ease one another in an otherwise kind of space you just feel not fully accepted. This notion of human care extends into my next poem, One Tear. Um, this one I actually wrote sitting on the metro in DC a couple years ago. Sitting on the metro, I looked over and saw a woman standing, light brown skin, braids, maybe 50. I am unsure, to be completely honest, but what I did notice is that she had one tear slip down her cheek, and then she just closed her eyes, leaving them there and seemed to go to sleep in a search for inner peace. I don't know why this affected me so strongly, a moment of human care. I think it's because I know how it feels to be in search of air. I can't breathe, my soul screams, but my lungs defy my needs. To be in public and yet be so broken, struggling with what to do, how to remain normal, just breathe under control, just breathe, some version of stoic, just breathe, a calm portrayal on the outside. I'm just so tired. While inside, you're literally crumbling. Lip may start shaking and cause you to bite it. Stomach queasy, take a breath and hold it. Trying to resist, but that one little pesky tear always escapes and goes rolling. Human care 
as a lived praxis to actually care about other individuals and what's going on in their lives because you know you have stuff going on in your life and you want others to pay you that same respect as well as just basic humanity to care. I think that's missing um, a lot in this world at the moment. And so it's really nice when people in your life notice when you're just not all right. (laughs) I mean, it feels good for someone to check in on you. Um, And I don't mean to every person just, who's my black friend? Let me, let me reach out. (laughs) Um, If they're really not that close of a black friend and you're just dealing with white guilt in this time. But I mean, if you actually have a close relationship, I think it is, I personally like when someone checks in on me. Um, And I think even for strangers and people from afar, even if you don't check check in on them through, you know, email or phone, Um, to pay basic respect when you see them um, and just acknowledge their presence and to treat them with kindness, I think is still something um, that goes a long way. This next poem is I See You, and I wrote it for actually Vicki Lawson um I wrote it it was at the end of the quarter and I mean I was just very it was very difficult getting through the end of this quarter um and so I just really appreciated her email popping into my inbox saying I just want you to know I'm thinking of you um and So I see you. I see you, and I can tell that you are not okay. Behind your broad shoulders and head held high, others ignore the signs, but I can tell that you have walls built so high they almost reach the sky. I see you, and I can tell that you need to cry. Others have told you to perpetually hide. Go behind closed doors if you need to scream out why. Human emotions deemed as a flaw and not a source of pride. But I promise you it is okay to open up. I am a safe place. Just come to me if you need to finally sleep. Lay your head on my shoulder as you weep. And let us have a deep talk when your soul is more rested. I would love to hear your inner self speak. (laughs) Um, Once again, I think that poem speaks for itself. Um, but I, I, it felt amazing for me to not, to say I was okay and for someone to question if that was true, I guess, because I'm definitely the person that's always confident and strong and has it all together, um, but that does not mean that I don't, you know, have downtimes and struggle. 
Um, moving into the next poem, it's really short. It's titled Raining Racism. Um, this is how I've been kind of feeling as I just move into, be, move into becoming a more public um, person critiquing the political and cultural moment around blackness and anti-blackness in America through both my research as well as my poetry. Um, when you are called to the fight, please be the woman that you're supposed to be. Time lapse, emotional bandwidth, exposure to the elements. Racism feels like acid rain. Then we're gonna have an issue, chilling. My very existence is a form of resistance. I've had so many complex emotions around the current events and a battle between my inner self to do more and shut down um, that I'm really loving to take on this new call to action. This next poem um, <laughs> is definitely moving into more the critiquing um, critiquing blackness and anti-blackness more directly. Um, and the poetry set is definitely moving in a more um, moving towards critiquing more of the current events um, and what's going on. So I hope you guys are excited to <laughs> hear more direct, um, some more direct poetry. This one is titled, Not a Nigga. Um, it's another poem that is in two um, pieces. The first one I wrote as a 13-year-old um, when I was sitting at the school lunch table and someone I considered a friend called me, you know, blah, 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 nigga. And I said, like, you know, I'd rather you not call me that. And they were like, no, I can call you that. I can call you that. Um, <laughs> and it's fair to say that that is one of the times I was, as I stated earlier, a mad, um, an angry black woman. <laughs> and then the second part of this poem is my response now to myself. Um, and I think it really just goes to show how black children have to grow up so quickly to be strong and resilient when it comes to their black identity. Um, literally to just get through the world and it takes away a piece of your childhood in a way that I don't think a lot of people understand because you're dealing with such complex and just I would argue should be adult subjects um, and you're having to face them head-on at such an at such a young age so not a nigga. 
When you look at me, is all you see a nigga? Do I not have any other substance built up inside that proves that that word shouldn't be pushed upon me as if we're two magnets that can't help but attract? Because even as I try to run away, the word nigga can't help but find me. And I get you don't understand why I react the way I do, but how would you feel if one two-syllable word could crush your soul and blind your eyes, haunt your mind with memories that are so vivid they're almost real? Memories of the pain my people went through, the sorrow they felt. Don't get me wrong, my people are strong. They were strong enough to earn the term of an American, African-American to be exact. So don't call me a term from back in the day because I'm telling you now I'm not a nigga. I'm not a nigga at all. But I am strong. Danielle Strong. Hmm. I like the sound of that. Call me that instead. And my 23-year-old Danielle's reply to my 13-year-old self is, Young child, you are so wise. And you are right, Danielle Strong, as your name just makes me smile. But while I know being grown may make you feel empowered, for our whole community, I would like to say, I am sorry you had to grow up so quick. It is not right. This cycle must be ended and blown to bits. This subject you speak on is so in-depth. You are just a mere child, and you should be outside playing. But instead, you speak on several centuries' worth of trials. You must have thick skin to get through this vicious world, rise above it all, and win. People will tell you that you are less than, and I'm sorry to tell you that some version of nigga you will be called again and again. Call you ugly and make constant judgments on your hair, but you must remember you are intelligent and powerful enough to survive it. Do not say sorry for your anger or for having an opinion. That, my girl, is what makes your light shine so bright despite the random bouts of darkness. It is not your fault that your inner pain goes unnoticed. And I promise you one day, you will rise above it all and flourish. I have always loved your inner tenacity and strength. That, my young sister, is what you and your people will need over the long haul. And based on the passion you bring to this issue already, I know for a fact you will have a hand in widespread racial consciousness lifting. That poem <laughs> definitely makes me pause them. Every time, because, I mean, I just can't imagine what I was going through at that time. If I think back to my 13-year-old self writing a poem about being called a nigger at the lunch table and having to defend the reason why I have a right to say that you can't call me that. And the entitlement shown at such a young age for someone to say, yes, I can. <laughs> I mean, just in itself illustrates why we're at, I mean, why this moment in time is going on. Why we need Black Lives Matters as a movement. It's because anti-blackness is just entrenched in every way in the fabric of this society. And it's gotten down to some of the children. Um, and 
I mean, I, I know that because I experienced it. Um, I just think it's really sad in many ways. Um, but I think it's also obviously very inspiring. So just like black identity being multifaceted and not monolithic, not a monolithic story, should I say. Um, so is just dealing with what that black identity means. And there are things that are beautiful that comes out of it, like strength and resilience to get through life's mountains with a tenacity and a strength and a drive that I personally think is so unique and yet also the toll that takes on your mental, emotional, physical health is at the same time very unfair. So this next poem I'm going to read um, definitely is very politically um, targeted and it is my longest poem. It's, I consider it my rant poem. It's titled Wishing on a Looting Shooting Star. And it, um, I wrote it in response to Trump's tweet in which he states, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Um, which I saw as a very just evil and vile <laughs> thing to say when it comes to any life. So, um, hold on for the ride. <laughs> when the looting starts, the shooting starts. If it bleeds, it leads. Black lives distilled down to their reactive responses due to this fact of black lives mattering, just simply not enough to warrant their collective survival. And instead, visible blackness in this country continues to mark not only an entire racialized group societal demise, it constitutes their plausible death for stepping out of line, making a mistake, or simply living their life. This global pandemic seems to have only fueled the racialized hatred emanating throughout our society. What did George Floyd do to deserve to have men kneeling on his body? I can't breathe, he calls out, his community surrounding him without a way to help. May 25th, 2020, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Brianna Taylor, March 30th, 2020, Louisville, Kentucky. Amid Arbery, February 20th, 2020, Glen County, Georgia. And let us take a moment of silence for the many others who now rest in power. With all of these deaths, we seriously have to ask ourselves, our grand generational talk no longer seems to help. Even the true nature of white liberal racism has reared its ugly head. In the clash of Cooper versus Cooper in Central Park, when a white woman felt so severely harassed for being asked to put her dog on a leash by a black male bird watcher that she called the police. Oh, please, God, Allah, Zeus, or any other higher spiritual power, the heavens, Mother Earth, I call on you all because we need you all. I would blow a million dandelions, all of my birthday candles, and make every one of my 11-11 wishes state. I wish upon a looting shooting star, 
for when the looting starts, the riots, the cries for human status through protests, freedom fighters filling the streets, struggling to be seen in a world that seems to have been structured for their demise, the shooting not to start. In order to demystify these reifying oppressive structures, we must take a stand, look back at history, and change our path. Become a society of anti-racists opposed to non-racists. Collectively recognize that denial is the heartbeat of racism. Liberal individualism, settler colonialism, imperialism, neoliberalism, racial capitalism, all of these systems operate for the possessive investment of white life when what we ultimately need is liberation for all people. In this illusion of a free liberal democracy, black bodies were emancipated in 1863, gained a version of freedom in 1865, but have always retained a relegated status. In this overwhelming push towards a post-racial colorblind society completely obscures marginalized communities' justified rage. Opposed to seeing their rioting as cries for help, a community mourning in pain, reacting to a violent stimulus, a black survival strategy to another situation in which someone's white privilege or racial hatred has gone so far that has led to another unnecessary loss of life. The collective response continues to mark black bodies for further literal and social death. I just wanna live is what a young 12-year-old black boy sings, but you're just another thug is largely what the politicians state. All of humanity, this is my grand appeal my eternal wish upon a looting shooting star. Look within your heart. I know it is against your nature. I know it is how you've been taught, wielding violence as your political, social, and economic tool to keep all, but especially those you deem inferior to your own in their place. But please, when you look in the mirror, try to remember these color differences you continue, you continue to structure society upon only extend skin deep. Instead, look into another eyes, see their soul, and come to the conclusion that we all deserve a chance to survive. That poem definitely packs a lot into it. Um, but I really enjoyed going through the newspapers and picking out specific details that really illustrate holistically what we are going through as a society, as well as what's important, which is human life. Going into the next two poems, it's definitely focused and speaking directly to some of um, the white viewers or listeners, should I say. I think one of the problems a lot of times we talk about is like white people just can't understand the reality of a black individual. And so these two are written to be very direct. Um, the first one's a bit funnier. The second one's, I consider it very eloquent rage. Um, you'll see why. So first is the insignificance of performative allyship. Walking down the street, all eyes on me, a sympathy case for your performative allyship, for those white liberals that say black lives matter when all I want is your respect, for you to shake my hand, listen to my advice instead of deeming my knowledge as inferior, 
for you to not assume that my intentions are for the worst. I mean, goddamn, I live in a white-ass area, and even my neighborhood rioted is being boarded up. <laughs> and I wrote this one, walking literally down the street and feeling all eyes on me and seeing my Rite Aid being boarded up in my little white neighborhood, um, a little suburb here in Seattle, and it was just very funny to see, <laughs> as well as upsetting. Moving on to the next one. Think eloquent rage all the way, subhuman white existence. Small altered worlds you have, those of you dressed in white skin, walking around immersed in privilege, born complicit in this warped, inequitable white supremacist system. With no clue, you're living in a delusion. The reality you claim to know is false, blindly colored to support your group's position. The racialisms of the world and echo in the far distance. And when you come against any sudden oppression, any moment of resistance, a feeling of subjugation, any designation that your superior substance based purely on essentialized whiteness and entrenched in racism is no longer your immortal savior, you return to your repertoire of entitlement, the epitome of defensiveness. Biting words leave your lips, fictitious tears roar like a river. My very existence becomes a problem for you. Your next move an act of spiteful competence, calling on the legal system to come to your assistance in search of reestablishing control under the guise of fear. It is a full-fledged power trip laced in white privilege, a hate-filled reaction to a moment of resistance your inner self screams for the need to establish authority over me. But I am here to tell you that Jack just won't be. And as a strong black woman, I'm here to educate you pale-skinned folk, gave you some tools in order to wake you up. Think about all you are denied when you allow racism to foster an innate energy source, veiled in an allegiance to an unquestioned white pride, a skin-deep record of vital lineage based on false constructs. In doing so, it is you who falls like a fraudulent angel from the sky. The true subhuman status of white existence exemplifies how here on earth, if you fully open your eyes, maybe you'll realize how racism halts your growth, denying any ability to become a fully realized human, a true one-of-a-kind individual. I really feel this way. Whiteness, white constructs, obscures many of your realities to real oppression. I watch these Karen videos. It is absolutely nuts how black people are dying in the streets and the way in which some people attack police and other humans and just get let off. The entitlement, it has to stop. The next poem is titled The Siren Call. I live two blocks away from a fire station and I haven't heard so many sirens since the past month and a half. Here you are. Sirens in the air, putting me in a state of despair. Wee hoo, wee hoo, burr, burr. The sounds fill the room, leaving me in a mood. What is going on? Who is hurt? These noises weren't here weeks ago. But now they arrive like clockwork on the hour, a signal of black strife. It leads me to want to cry. What can I do? How can I help? My people are being put through hell. 
on the streets protesting for the humanity to be noticed. And here I sit in a fit out of breath. I need you, Lord. My weakness is showing. God, my soul is in pieces. I can't sleep, eat, barely speak. My inner soul is screaming for help. Some version of peace. How do I fulfill my calling? When all I want to do is hit a wall, smash a glass, I am mad as hell at the world, at law enforcement. I ask you, white people, why do you look at me as if I am a sympathy case or a piece of shit you spit at us? I have a name, I am a person. At the very least, look at me in the eye as you strip me down, deciding if I have a right to live or die. And yet my people in the so-called democracy get shot in their sleep by the police. It's a fucking disgrace to call this the land of liberty when having black skin is still considered a mortal sin a mark that designates my people as property, leading to their disproportionate mortality, I won't sit around and allow this to happen. And based on the images captured of those protesting in the streets, my people won't either. We are coming for this whitewashed system. I love the, I love the eloquent rage <laughs> that is emanating in these last few poems. Because, you know, I'm angry at what is going on. But I'm also hopeful at what's going on. That hope, hopefully, we can imagine a world in which all of us are actually free. So I move into my last poem now. It's titled Black Ghost and Chains. I would say this is probably one of my favorite poems thus far that I've written. I think it really embodies who I am and what I want my work to speak to and embody, which is both a recognition of the power systems and ideologies that have gotten us to this place, but also it realizes that black people, black communities are resilience we are and have always imagined a better future. My whole life I've had to fight this unwarranted substandard existence with racism marked in 15th century, the navigation of two worlds, legacies of slavery shackle my innate worth, living in a state of constant fight or flight, something that seems as simple as skin color leads to my integrity being questioned. Sometimes I feel like a black ghost in chains for never being given the benefit of the doubt. Despite all of my tenacity and strength, at times it is almost impossible to get through a day. It is hard out here and sometimes I just need a moment when I can dream up an imaginary world where my full potential is in reach. Somewhere we can all dance and be poets. Jump, laugh, cry, sigh, skip, hop. I long to be free in a world where I can run through a meadow full of pink and yellow flowers, arms wide open, with a band of my fellow black and brown-skinned brothers and sisters. We deserve to have this freedom. And with that, with Black Ghost and Chains, I wrap up my poetry set, Soul in a Bottle. I want to thank everyone again who have been here with me even though it's from afar, um, as I share my poetry to the world for the first time on the Relational Poverty Network. This experience has been one 
of a lifetime for me. Um, it took me a lot to get through it. But I got out on the other side. And I'm very excited. I took this plunge. So thank you all for listening. I hope my poetry reached someone and make someone feel seen or heard. I feel more seen and heard now completing it. And like I am living even more so as my authentic self in the world. So thank you for allowing me to do so with you all. And I hope you have a good night. Bye.